couple of weeks, someone with an existing relationship with Nick Casario became available. That, of course, is Coach Brian Flores, who was fired on Monday in a surprise move by the Miami Dolphins. I would anticipate that the Texans are going to run a targeted search here. They are going to move swiftly. Certainly, Flores is one name to consider here as potentially the next coach again of the Houston Texans. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It was Championship Sunday, it's been and gone, the head coach cycle is a turning, and the Texans seem a little closer anyway this week. Um, it, it may seem by the second round of interviews, but to talk all that through with us from the lead Houston, it's Harley Dugan. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm honoured to be on here, man. I never knew that... I would ever be a guest anywhere on a podcast, let alone from the Great British. I mean, come on, man. That, this is awesome. This is an honor to me. I never knew this was this was ever possible. So, yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. No, I think thank you for the time. Um, it's been built to do this without everybody being so gracious of their of their time. So, no, the uh, the honor is all is all mine uh, on this end and we're trying to make a little bit sense of it all I suppose when you're kind of in a place where we are right now as a ball club you, you kind of look up at the final weeks of the season um, it seems quite daunting I think in many senses when you see some you know the elite kind of levels of, of squads uh, quality they've got it you know at all positions in, in some cases not all but um, and, uh, and, and some elite signal callers as well and some you know superior coaching than what we've been used to but what did you what did you take away from from Sunday's games then in terms of obviously the the early AFC one was a, a turnaround and uh, and the you know the NFC probably went as expected. Yeah, man, that was fun. That was absolutely fun. We just came off of what a roller coaster ride from the week before it, and those games were absolutely some of the best games we've ever seen as football fans in AFC Championship Championship weekend, AFC NFC. It was fun, man. Bengals, Chiefs, Chiefs are up 21 to three at one point. Bengals come all the way back. And wow, man, that Bengals team, they just, whoo, they are on a roll. They are, they are hot. They're going into Super Bowl weekend, going to face the Rams, which again, another awesome game was the Rams game. Uh, and like you said, that was pretty much expected. I had the Rams winning, but the Niners, you know, gave them a battle. And again, Kyle Shanahan in the fourth quarter, uh, doesn't come up again a little short, gets outscored 13 nothing in the fourth quarter by the Rams. So, man, Bengals-Rams going into the Super Bowl. Championship weekend, fun. What does this do for the Texans? Texans got to, again, like I've been saying in all my videos, this is a at-minimum two-year plan to maximum worst-case scenario four or five years where, you know, you get down there. So, Look, man, if you can translate any type of the success that the Bengals have done with, yeah, they had some rough years, two rough years with Zach Taylor, and now the promised land into this year. Look, it all starts. They got a quarterback in Joe Burrow. That's very helpful. You know, the Texans, I believe, are going to go on a different path than the Bengals, though. But overall, championship weekend, fun as hell. Yeah, I <laughs> I kept watching the game on Sunday night, the first one certainly, and I I I just kept going back to the in my head a lot of times. 
of a, a team that you know up front in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball, you know, deeply flawed, um, but they could run it some. Um, kind of reminded me of the sort of 2017-2018 Texans when when uh, when number four burst onto the scene and and just kind of you know and if you hadn't got that ACL you never know that could have been could have been us that's what I kept thinking back to and just a team that you know had issues on defense weren't a complete unit on either side of the ball but just had one transcendent talent that was on the rise again albeit coming back from an injury but um it, yeah I think it just shows you what it what it means, you know, not that anybody should be ever be kind of confused by that fact, but what it means to have a guy at that position that can, you know, lead your team in so many ways and make everybody else around them better. And, you know, there's guys playing up front in that offensive line that probably shouldn't be playing in the league, but they've made it a Super Bowl. And I think that probably is a testament to how good Joe Burrow is. How good do you think he can be? Yeah, I mean, hey, <laughs> Watson was a... Number four was a special player for us, and uh, it is what it is at this point. You know, uh, I I don't I'm never gonna buy the rumors as of right now with Brian Flores and maybe Watson could come back. Maybe the door yeah. is still cracked. I'm not gonna buy those rumors. I literally have to see it and to believe it, and maybe see him on the field to believe it. Like I gotta be way way in there so I'm not going to believe any of those rumors until it happens but I mean Watson was a special player uh, I'm never going to be that fan that says well you know he never did this and this and that well I know who Watson was and hey yeah did he have flaws sure did he have trouble reading a defense at times and picking up blitzes yeah sure but uh offensive line wasn't that great either let's just say so I mean th that doesn't help much as well so uh, overall, Deshaun, you know, like I said, it is what it is. And it just feels like a rough, a rough patch, just something to talk about when you mention Deshaun Watson. It just doesn't. Yeah. It, it's tough for me to even put it in words that I never thought this was going to happen, you know. Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing when you remind me of those games, you thought that should have been us at some point or at least getting close or at yeah. least being in the running. Um because I think it showed you, you know, the Bengals showed that you don't have to necessarily, you know, have all the answers at every spot, you know, that, you know, and I think, in, and I think that's partly just, you know, with the, the new CBA and I think, you know, all it did was erode the middle class of free, you know, free agents and veteran guys. So actually, you know, when you think about it in real terms, if you're being brutally honest, probably the quality is down and that's why you can rely on one guy at a position that can carry, can carry probably further ever than, you know, you should be, you know, by by the, the laws of averages, you know, carries you further than this should be possible. But the definitely, I think, you know, Burrow, you see him and I, I think, you know, he's got the potential to have it all and, uh, you know, health, luck, you know, some front office decisions around them, all the stuff that's gone against us. Um, if you know, if that goes your way, then you know he could go on and, and rack up a number of rings. I think, you know, I think it'll be too much for them come the come the final game up front. I don't think you can equalise Aaron Donald Von Miller with that front enough um, to get the points up. But you never know. You just never know because the Bengal the Bengals showed a, a great a great defence in the second half and led by a guy who I was you know bitterly disappointed when he left was DJ Reader. So you got to be happy for a guy like that. Yeah, totally, man. I'm extremely happy for DJ Reader. Huge. I'm happy that he got his money. I'm happy that he, you know, a, a team that the Bengals just seems like that's kind of like America's team right now. <laughs> like everyone's just like, yeah, let's go Bengals. You know, like let's have them beat the Chiefs. But yeah, totally happy for DJ Reader. Uh, all salute to him. 
Well, that's it. And I think you, you can't begrudge a team that's never won a playoff game since 1988 um, and then finally get there and, and take it the whole hog because, you know, and you go back to us again, I think when you see all those, you know, when you went up to Baltimore in 2011, um, when you crashed out New England in 2012, you know, those teams are probably good enough in, in, in some years um, to go the whole hog. But then you see, you know, you see a team like that coming and roar in and, and, and 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 you know and captivate a lot of you know sports fans and and why you watch sport in general because in theory anything's possible and that's why you play the games. But in terms of their development, I know a lot of people have said you know they went from four wins to to, to the Super Bowl and that's not quite completely true because Burrow was injured. They would have won more games if Burrow had been there and they wouldn't have got to the Super Bowl with Burrow probably last year without all those free agents on the back end and up front on their defence but from that that sort of maturation process you've seen probably three years in real terms with the new head coach mm-hmm. um, who you know has surprised many because it didn't look good for you know for the first 18 months um, or so um, but a three year window there is there anything the Texans you think can learn um, from from uh, <laughs> dare I say Cincinnati it's not a sentence I thought I'd be saying yeah and you know any takeaways you can grab from Cincinnati right away I mean Three-year window, like you said. First year, you got David Coley. Okay, should we do we even count that year? I'm not going to. It just one year done. I think this was just a let me just see what I can get from the free agents. He signed about 30 to 50 free agents on a one-year deal. Keep the guys that do well. Okay, what can you take from the Bengals to the Texans? Obviously, this is going to be different because you don't have a quarterback as of now, in terms of Joe Burrow, I think Davis Mills is someone that is helpful for you in this rebuild process. If he turns out to be one of these really good quarterbacks, I don't need him to be great. As long as he's really good. We've seen it before with Matt Schaub in 2011, 2012, where Schaub in the surrounding pieces were great and made Shaw better than what he possibly was. And there's no discredit to Shaw. This man threw 5,000 yards. Okay. But like, let's, let's, I'm 537 yards, excuse me, in a game. But going back to that, you know, the Bengals overall, they signed some veteran pieces. They got a DJ reader. They get a Trey Hendrickson. They build the team. They got Jesse Bates, for a few, few years ago now, and is literally the veteran leader. Damn good safety, by the way. Let's give some respect to Jesse Bates. Not getting his deserved respect from the NFL. I hope he finally gets it. Von Bell, another veteran signing that's helped out a lot for them, causes a lot of turnovers. And then you get the draft picks right. You know, you get some of these, you know, a T. Higgins who, that hey, it kind of hurts that he got injured from college, comes with the Bengals. And and he kind of gets hurt again this year. Whoa, this guy comes out of nowhere. No, this guy was projected to be a first round pick whenever he was supposed to come out. Jamar Chase, him or Sewell. I think they got that one right. <laughs> yeah, Joe Burrow's running for his life at times. But, you know, hey, I'll take the Super Bowl over him running over his life. We'll figure out the offensive line when we get there. Bengals are nowhere near a complete team yet. But veteran free agent signings, getting these late draft round picks, uh, early to late draft picks, they're hitting them on the mark. The vet player development, which we haven't seen from the Texans, is player development. And 
it always helps to have a quarterback. And I hope Davis Mills can become not Joe Burrow, like I said, something good to great surrounding parts. That's what the Texans can try to take away from this. Yeah, I think so. And I suppose when you, when you have the benefit of a quarterback who's on a rookie deal, who you believe you can win with, it allows you to probably, you know, and you think in, gr- in the grand scale of things, you know, if you're talking, you know, from a purely analytical point of view, did they overpay for, you know, Trey Hendrickson? Did they overpay for D- DJ Reader? You know, did uh, a couple of those other guys like Mike Hilton and stuff on the back end probably get the richer deals than they would have elsewhere? Yeah, they did, but that's I suppose that's just if you're willing to spend in free agency, that's what you have to do to get guys because ultimately the highest bidder nine times out of ten wins the wins the race to get the deal signed. That it's not necessarily all of us down to fit and and down to uh, and down to kind of uh, sporting sporting kind of chances of success. Now that's come together in quite a kind of misfit kind of shape and way, and then but they they put on a hell of a performance. I don't know if something happened to to uh, Mahomes, and I think you know that a team that good. To only get win one Super Bowl in that four year spans probably an underachievement, I would think. Um, but I think, yeah, look, it's that's a good problem to have, you know, <laughs> what you do for those sets of problems. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was an interesting week. You saw it again as well, you know, just touching that Watson thing. You saw that the amount of value that the 49ers put in trading up basically three, three years worth of first round picks to get somebody to replace a guy who takes you to, you know, that. You know, one game away from the second Super Bowl in, th- in four years or three years, um, and that's probably just testament to the depth of their squad, and you know some of the quality they've got. Um, you know, particularly on the defensive side, of the ball up front. So, you know, it's a, you can get there in many ways, I suppose, and there's many paths it takes. Um, but it was interesting learning um, from that. I thought. Um, <clears throat> Another thing that takes many paths, I think, to, to, to find your way there is a head coach. Um, and the Texans are definitely, you know, embattled in a, in a search right now that's taken on many different philosophies from a kind of interesting selection of candidates. Um, and I, I, I thought, you know, just before we went into the different candidates, and I, I heard this argument put up by uh, Michael Lombardi, um, always pa- former Patriots um, and the Raiders, you know, GM, uh, front, front office exec type. And he talked about this a couple of times recently. I've seen him on various various platforms talking about the devaluation of a head coach um, and actually that traditional role of you know the you know the commander in chief on the battlefield every Sunday um, is kind of being diminished in in some aspects. Um, and I think it's pertinent to the Texans as well. You know, there's been a lot made about Nick Casario being on the on the headset. And I heard Mike Lombardi talk yesterday about that, and he said that. You know, when you get to a certain point, you need to differentiate yourself from the rest of the staff. You are the boss now, so necessarily being on the headset, you know, doing all that kind of stuff is not necessarily a good thing. Um, even though you've done it your whole career, you're now in a different job, so you need to act differently. Um, and I think it's pertinent to the Texans as well in terms of the way you know, you know, I, I've described Casario as overbearing. But uh, what do you think of Casario up to this point, Harley? And uh, what do you think about how his role and others in the league um, are starting to change that head coach role, the way it's been traditionally viewed? Yeah, so I'll start with Casario, and uh, so far, I, I, I'm kind of excited so far, uh, being handcuffed into this draft process and grabbing guys like Nico Collins, Brevin Jordan, Roy Lopez, who is a starter pretty much for the rest of the year. Uh, Nico and Brevin, like I mentioned earlier, have the potential to be something really good for this Texans team. Garrett Wallow even got on the field and at times had a few splash plays. Uh, I think he could be possibly something has some potential, uh, more or less of a specials team guy, but who knows? This is still young into his career. You never know how he can uh, 
obviously translate. And then the biggest one is Davis Mills. Uh, his developmental process is going to be huge on Nick Casario's. But, I mean, so far, just grading year one, I think he did a pretty splendid job uh, overall without a first or second round pick. So with that being said, now you mentioned the headset thing. You know, I, I think it's just overblown a little bit. I really do. And I believe, hey, you got David Coley as your head coach. This guy wasn't supposed to be a head coach. He, there's a reason why he was a positional coach for many, many years. And Nick Casario has had this kind of headsets power, for lack of a better term. He's had it since New England. And I'm not saying he's Belichick how to do things, but Bill Belichick didn't seem to have a problem with it. And this guy has seven rings to say there is a problem with it. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I just think it's overblown. I think it's the incompetence of David Coley at the end of the day as to reason why Nick Casario was probably more on the headset a little bit more than other coaches. If he gets somebody like a Brian Flores, there's a lot more trust there. There's a lot more competency there. Uh, obviously they have a connection between each other and they know he knows what he's getting into as well. If you're Brian Flores, as well as a Kevin O'Connell, who was drafted by the Patriots, he knows what he's going to be getting into. And so if a head coach, you know, if, if I'm a head coach, I don't want the GM on the headset telling me what to do, you know, but if I have a connection with him and I know who he is, then why am I going to get mad if I already know exactly who this guy is? I know what he's done in New England. I have a relationship with him. Not necessarily I'm going to listen to him all the time. But if he's going to say, hey, I think you need to take a time out here. You know, Brian Flores, if Brian Flores says, eh, no, I don't think so. It's not like Nick Casario and him are going to have a shouting match. I don't mm. believe so. You know, that's what I believe. Uh, and it's just my opinion, you know. But Nick Casario, I think overall has done – a solid job for what he has been with for this Texans team. Again, remember they were in salary cap hell from the get go. As soon as he got here, no Deshaun Watson anymore, trying to get the trade situation with him fixed. Uh, there's a lot of problems with this team, a lot more than I think we've, we've kind of forgotten now. Let's be real. Mm, Nick Casario yeah. has done a, a pretty solid job so far. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I suppose, you know, many would view it if you, you know, you are a competent coach or in any job, it's a bit of micromanagement that's probably, yeah. you know, and, you know, and I, I, I don't see, you know, what's the, what's, you know, what stops him hiring somebody that he trusts, a younger guy or somebody to just to take that role and, and, you know, and, and, you know, on a game day. Um, because I think just an, go back to an optics point of view, I think, you know, this organization continues to, to be different. Um, and they've not been successful by being different, therefore you will attract criticism by definition. So it, it seems a kind of a, a strange one in, in that sense, I think. And as well, it goes back, you know, and the word culture was brought up a lot of times last year. And actually, uh, Casario's been the voice of the head, of the team, not the head coach. Um, the culture has been, you know, placed, you know, guys getting cut through the mid-season, guys being let go, guys being traded off, you know, or failed trades, you know, being cut bait very quickly, all this kind of stuff about culture and about the fit and about all this kind of stuff. And actually, you know, in prior years or, or prior, you know, traditional views, it was the head coach that set that. 
but that's very much coming from GM and it's not going to be an equal relationship when you know whoever this head coach comes in they will know that they are very much second fiddle to Casero in the way he wants to do it now will how will he amenable will he be will he be you know I'm sure he'll listen um I'm sure he'll take advice <laughs> and some sometimes from the wrong people will come on to that um but I think he's you know, I, I I wonder, you know, and, and Mike Lombardi's view of it was you will not be successful if you don't let the head coach run a football team. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, and that's not saying he picks the players, that's not saying he, he chooses the draft picks, doesn't, you know, he doesn't get a final say on everything. Um, but I think there's an element of, of, you know, of having a football team unity on a Sunday. It's the 53 guys that are on the roster that are important and are looking to that. And I know Watson's comments were about, you know, having a leader and following that leader and that was what was needed. I think that's what needs in every football team. So if that role's diminished, and Charles and whose comments, you know, you could take take them in context, out of context, but ultimately, you know, when you've got a kind of strong relationship there, and that's not to say Casero's um, incapable of that, but I think what we've seen up to this point is you've got to hope that the situation will dictate a change that won't be like this year, um, and hopefully got some better players to boot, but I think that's, that's an interesting one. But when you look at, Harley, when you look at the Texans' list of candidates I think if you think of Eber of Luce somebody spoke to last year um, is, is hired in Chicago Brian Dable who's a guy who's got clear connections with Bob Lamont the agent they didn't speak to him hired for the Giants weren't in any way uh, shape or form linked with Nathaniel Hackett he was quickly hired in Denver um, and Josh McDaniels everybody thought he was going to be heating and then quite late on the process doesn't interview for anybody else takes the job with uh, Ziegler in the front office um, in, in Las Vegas so why do you think the Texans' list of candidates has looked so different? Yeah, man, that's that's a tough question, actually. Uh, I really thought that Brian Dabble, Pat's connection, Patriots connections, boom, that guy's going to be interviewed. Okay, not even touched. All right, next one. You know, uh, Brian Flores got immediately, I mean, as soon as Coley didn't even get to start the car and Brian Flores is already on a Zoom call with Nick area. I mean, it, so, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, I thought somebody that should have been interviewed at least or requested, you know, didn't really get it, you know. So there's a few guys that have Patriots connections that Nick Casario hasn't necessarily talked to, which I'm kind of not upset about. I kind of like the different young, all of these coaches are young that he's looked at, and Brian Flores, one of them another one in Kevin O'Connell, but still has both of those guys have Patriot connections. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, if you want to find a Patriot connection, uh, is was hired from Josh McDaniels to go to the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. And of course, we know that McDaniels left, <laughs> yeah. you know, famously Frank Wright comes in and says, I'm still going to keep the staff and tweak it a little bit, you know, and he keeps Jonathan Gannon. So, with that being said, McDaniels and Casario are really good friends. Uh-oh, Gannon's getting interviewed from other teams. McDaniels probably tells Casario, hey, why don't you take a look at this guy? You know, okay, no problem. And from quote-unquote, blows the doors open and blows the doors away and has a really good interview with the Texans and countless other teams as well. Uh, Gannon is another guy. So all of these guys have some sort of a Patriot connection. I, I – then there is Josh McCown and the Heinz Ward, but Heinz Ward, I believe, is just a let's dip a toe into the water and just see, you know, what he is. And if he blew you away, I think you'd get another interview, you know, but I just think it's nothing other than 
possibly a coaching staff hire, maybe a positional coach, or it's just an interview. Maybe they talk with his agent or something. So who knows? Uh, all I do know is last year you do interview before Nick Casario, you do interview the uh, salary cap guy, Omar Khan from the Steelers. This year you interview another kind of Steelers connection with Heinz Ward, something that was pretty interesting from the Texans point of view. If, you know, what are they trying to do or interviewing two guys from the Steelers previously, but you know, Josh McCown is, that's a tough pill to swallow for me. That's the only one. And yeah. it's, yeah. it's extremely tough, man. Extremely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Come back to that, my Kevin thought just briefly, but I think, you know, everybody's kind of like quite, you know, and you, you said, you know, and I'm, I'm probably less high on Casario's job. He's done to this point, you know, draft aside, um, than uh, than stuff. I think some of these salary cap moves have, have not been not been necessarily great. You know, no more than Whitney Merciless extending them, then cutting them, and then taking on more dead cap. But it just makes no sense when that was an obvious one. But anyway, there's no point kind of going over the old stuff. He, as you said, it wasn't a clean slate. He's getting towards a clean slate this year, but again, he's he's sort of muddied his own one by all these restructures. So you know, um, so I think you know getting this right, and you're probably back at point zero again. And I think he's going to have a lot of autonomy to go and do this. I think that the list looks very different and. And that's fine, um, you know, and we'll come on to one more particular one there, but not a lot of it, you know, I think when you look at the pool of candidates, it was much more narrow um, and there have been a lot slower. And I don't know if that necessarily gives you a benefit in any way, but m my thought of why this candidate list is, it looks the way it is, is because ultimately, you know, Cas you know, Casario hired Cully probably not through 100% of his own choice. And like you're saying, he was, he was meddling because, you know, I think he knew what he was walking into. Um, and he probably regrets that choice because, you know, allegedly Frazier um, would have been a far better option. Um, um, Caldwell would have been a far better option also. So I think, you know, there's a there's a, an element there of regret, I think, you know, that, you know, you can't you can't fix the past. But what what, what I find interesting is I, I think the the situation that he finds himself in will inhibit the candidates because if I'm an agent, I'm going to say to my head coaching, you know, candidate, look, you know, you might want to think twice about interviewing for that Houston job, or at least voice some reservations about it. You know, when you look at objectively from a league a league wide point of view, I think that's definitely played into it, and I think that's definitely kind of narrowed the candidates, perhaps not all the way through choice. Um, and Casario is always going to do things slightly differently and do it his own way, but I think some of that's been external factors that you, that you've kind of brought in there. It's been very quiet as well, and I, I do think you know. And there's been some confusion about who's interviewed, who hasn't. I'm trying to read the tea leaves this year, there's been you know a number of different candidates proposed. You know, Gerard Mayo didn't even get an interview at any point. You know, Ian Rappaport, who's got direct links to Casario, um, is you know is, is out there saying you know name to watch. You know, I used the clip before a podcast a couple of weeks ago. wasn't even interviewed. So I. I I think there's an element of kind of doing your business quietly, which I find an admirable quality. I think, you know, leaking every step you make out to the media just for discussion or for your own benefit or whatever that is, um, is a good thing. But definitely there's been a, there's been a particular uh, preference to keep things quiet and even, and, and, and we, and include, you know, the Texans' own staff and that. Why do you think that is, Harley? Why do you think there's been a kind of quite a secrecy? Because I think, you know, Denver showed clips of their interviews <laughs> and we've been the complete opposite. Yeah, I think simple as put it, it's the New England way. That's literally the answer to that. And Nick Asario's been there forever, you know, and that's just how it is. Everything's tight-lipped over in New England. Uh, now coming over here, I I like the I like the 
there's nothing that you know of. Like nobody knew as soon as Coley got fired and all of a sudden, boom, Brian Flores is already Zoom called interview done. And I'm like, well, what? Huh? Like We didn't even get a leak that it was requested. You know, like that never even fell. The news dropped that he got interviewed via Zoom call. And that was just like, whoa, this is happening pretty fast. And then he's kind of steady the horses a little bit, it seems like, until, you know, yesterday where you get a bury of freaking, oh, my God, Kevin O'Connell. Cool. He he actually did get interviewed instead of just requested. You know, uh, Brian Flores, another interview. Awesome. You know, Jonathan Gannon. Cool. Oh, okay. All of a sudden, you know, but it just it feels like the secrecy I don't mind uh it just feels like in terms of Texan fans, and I get it, uh, I get this other side of the spectrum as to do they know what they're doing? Why are they being so quiet? Are they going to do the wrong move? Are they going to do something wrong? I understand that mindset because, hell, the Texans, they haven't been doing a lot of great moves front office-wise. But then I try to look at the other end of the spectrum. Well, let me try to put some trust into Nick Casario. It's the first time we've had a competent GM, unlike B.O.B., and I hate to yeah. mention that name on here. <laughs> I know well, it- yeah, I think that's it, because you think it's like, you know, it's like anything in life. You know, you go from a bad relationship to a good one. You're always yeah. going to view that new that new one in a far better, probably unobjective light or, or a, in a light of lack of objectivity, certainly, than you would just because of the past and rather than actually what it is, you know, brass tacks. Just talk, we'll go into some of these candidates and try and kind of work out exactly what's going on because I'm not sure. So hopefully you can help me. But I, I think the case for us is a lot of people. But to, and and I and I hope to hell that it's it's not him. And I think if it was him, it'd be a tough day for everybody to to muster. Um, but you're talking about some confusion, kind of 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 uh, of pro- public or PR team release, and it just kind of gives a bland statement of discussion. I can guarantee I'd put a month's on my mortgage on who interfered with the press release to do that because we all know he likes to dabble in, in media relations much to certain media members disdain um, but that man's influence again you can't get away from it well, it's certainly not in personnel and that's clear I mean because I don't think he's got the, you know, the knowledge to be involved in personnel but there's definitely a, a, a lineage between Jack Easterby and Josh McCowan now it's subsequently been reported, not really necessarily confirmed, but certainly been reported that they offered him some kind of role last year. He then chose to go back and watch his kids play um, high school ball. Fair enough. You probably missed a lot, 18 years in the league. You know, time to go and be a dad. Get that. But you're not pretty... But, you know, to then kind of come all the way sudden, you know, do you know do a 180 next off-season and to be quoted by Tom Pelser is all in, um, which I thought was interesting because I think, you know, how can you be all in? Surely anybody that wants to be in the coaching has given their life to it because it's not just something you can just rock up and do. Um, you know, it's a lifestyle that puts, you know, the game above, you know, many aspects of that individual's life, particularly family. And so I I, I struggle with the McCowan one just from a pure a point of he's never had a day's coaching, so therefore by definition, and that doesn't need to be a coordinator. That does not need to be, in a, you know, in the pros, that could be, the, you know, you could have been, the best, you know, college, you know, assistant head coach or position coach or something, and you've done it for seven or eight years, just never quite found the right opportunity, and then you took it. 
But I think the McKibben thing just goes back to doing things differently, looking dysfunctional, and the damage that you can do as a ball club who's trying to build back right now, How what damage you can do in league circles. And I think that's just a bit of tone deafness that I don't think Casario cares about because he said he's immune to pressure. But what did you make of the McKibben thing and all the kind of inferences that come with that? You know, you talked about the de-evaluation of a head coach. I think that's yeah. probably the furthest you go is Josh McCown, a guy with zero head coaching experience, zero coordinator experience, zero positional coach experience, just zero coaching experience whatsoever. Uh, I look at it in two ends of the spectrum, and I'm trying to gauge what Texans Twitter and fans and everyone that's trying to look into this um, – there's one end where you're going awesome. He's well, he was a quarterback for 20 plus years. Backup quarterbacks usually have uh, tendencies to become really good coaches, positional coaches, head coaches. We've seen it. I mean, Frank Wright with the Colts, I'm not saying he's a great coach, but I mean, he did pretty well. He's done well so far. I don't believe the Carson Wentz projects really helped out this year too much. It's kind of been a roller coaster ride in terms of that. But there's far more other guys. Doug Peterson, who's won a Super Bowl, he was a former quarterback in this league. So I get that end of the spectrum. Maybe this is the the gem in the hidden coal, maybe, and possibly is a pioneer for future players that retire and could potentially become a head coach. That's one end of the spectrum. And then you got the end of the spectrum that like 80% of the fans believe in. It's what the hell are they doing? This is really bad. This is optics wise. This is horrible. And you said it, Jack Easterby's lineage with Josh McCown. He also is really good friends with Brian Flores. Well, how come they're not talking about that? Well, because Brian Flores has coordinator experience and he has and head coach two winning seasons. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. He started from five and 11, 10 and six, nine and eight. Like, he was on a trajectory of an upward climb with the Dolphins. 5-11 and 11 shouldn't have even happened. They should have been 0-16. They were trying to tank for two of that year. And he got five wins out of nothing, a roster they traded and tried to get rid of. And so that is completely different than someone like Josh McCown, who we just saw last year, like you said, he takes a year off. They did interview him, but he's like, you know what, I'm not – apparently I'm not all in. You're going to be a head coach of a football team. You're interviewing for a head coach of a football team. And you're going to tell me you're not all in like this goes back to Dick Vermeil with the Rams. Like Dick Vermeil was a former um, for the Eagles, then Rams, former head coach. He had to step away from the game of football because mentally crying so much and emotionally and mentally head coach you know, opportunity took a toll on him and his family. He had to step away from the game for a while. Like, this isn't something you're just, the, you know, in next two hours, you're like, you know what? Mm, I don't feel like it anymore. You know, like, no, you know what? I'm all in, guys. This doesn't make no sense. If you're going to have no problem in Josh McCown, if he wants to be, I don't even like it as a quarterback's coach, but I'll allow it. I'm more of the let him be an offensive analyst, pass yeah. game coordinator, offensive intern, get his foot in the door, you know, and then if you see the necessary strides he makes, okay, cool, sure. I don't have no problem in a young head coach, 
You know, I don't have no problem in looking at a Mike McDaniel. I would love that, Texans, if you're hearing me, but that's not going to happen. But Josh McCown is nowhere near the level of either even getting a head coaching interview or request. Like, it's disrespectful to me, to everyone else that's worked so hard in this league, and that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, that's right. I think it's two fingers up to the the profession, and you know, and years and years of grinding. And I think as well, it's like, how do you know? Like, it's, it's and I said this last week. It's very, very different to be a guy who is sitting there giving friendly advice, has no real kind of, you know, written down responsibilities to actually do everything and manage everything about a football team in terms of, you know, on-the-field personnel, 53 personalities, plus practice squad, plus coaches. And how do you get how do you get a coaching staff to respect that guy as well, I think? When he's just, you know, it's just, say you're Lovey Smith, and you've been in the game, what you'd give to be a head coach again. You probably thought at times, you know, what is David Cully doing? How did this guy get the job? Couldn't, it was probably one of a few, you know, opportunities he had to be a, a DC, if any. You know, how do guys like that take that? Um, and, and, you know, you saw James Camden leave yesterday. You never know what he thinks yeah. seems kind of strange you probably thought he's probably a brand name or as close as you can get as an online coach certainly endorsed by Aaron Rodgers so you know he, you would have thought most incoming coaches probably had a you know would have a plan so maybe he's not in that plan but I I, I, I struggle with the McCowan thing big time and I think you'd you'd really test the frail loyalties that you have left with a lot of people if you were to do that because, you know, I was there at the Jets game, you know, after Thanksgiving and it was it was sad to see, you know, it really was, um, you know, not a place that a city like this should ever be in or even be any close to being in, you know. And I think if you were to, if you were to hire Josh McCowan, you've probably got a chance of prolonging that sort of game day feeling of, you know, complete flat deadness, um, you know, void of any meaning. Um, you know, look, does his resume of 18 years being a backup quarterback lead him to be a potentially good offensive coach? Absolutely it does. But there's a... And look, an experience dies off. You know, experience counts for so much. There's a curve, right? And then ultimately capability kicks in. There's only so much you can learn in a job. So, you know, he may spend three years learning, but he won't get three years to do this job. We don't have three years. We don't have three years. I certainly don't have three years of watching nothing again. You know, that's for sure. One was hard enough. You know, when you're... When you're you know, when you get hit with injuries, when you get hit with, you know bad years they happen um, but when you know when you don't see any way out I think that's where people start to lose faith you know there has to be a path and I don't think giving a first time head coach is a path by any stretch yeah I t- t- completely agree with you that I don't get it I really don't I, un- I understand that they're all close they have connections I get Jack Easterby wants him to get interviewed and whatever but and it's more so even getting his third really his third interview in two years like this is just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I can't, I'm trying to fathom it. And I want to find the the optimistic side of this. I just, I can't. I don't, yeah. I just, I can't grasp it. I can't. Yeah, and look, he could run with the job and be the best coach of all time. Could absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Dick Vermeule's a, a, you know, a much kind of... Um, Praised and and and, uh, and treasured coach, I think in the league, you know, celebrated for you know successes by a lot of people. But at the same time, I think there's a you've got to you've got to kind of have a bit of awareness of where we are now, where we need to be, and I don't think McCowan's that fit. Now that being said, I don't think this job on offer is necessarily the best job. You could argue it's probably you know it's a toss up between them and the Saints. 
you know, arguably, um, is you know, in the Jags because I just think the Jags will ever get it right. Yeah. And I, I saw um, I saw Albert Breer saying, you know, if he was Trevor Lawrence, he might be thinking about doing a Watson. Um, <laughs> I mean, would you blame him because they've kind of messed up the coaching staff? Now, the reason why I bring that up, Harley, is because they have n- not been able to speak to Kevin O'Connell this week. Um, because after looking like they were going to hire Byron Left, which they then went another direction, um, they then looked to hire, you know, speak to some older, more experienced, co- you know, coaches, um, and it's not necessarily um, kind of taking the progress they'd like. They look like they're stuck in limbo if they want to go from O'Connell. The reason why, or O'Connell, the reason why I bring that up is because the Texans wouldn't have been allowed to speak to him this week unless that was their second view. Now, Aaron Wilson said that, and a guy who is incredibly close to Nick Casario, if you ever hear them speak to one another is uh, Albert Breer. So they were all very much of the opinion it was the second interview with him. But then the Texans released that as a separate entity. They hadn't you know, given any information out for a week. Head coach tracker, the lot on the website, nothing new coming out. As we said, Casario kept them very much in the dark. Then there's a, then they have Brian Flores, which they have to have one minority candidate, candidate interview uh, in person to satisfy the Rooney rule. Um, so that would have had to happen anyway, either him or, or um, Heinz Ward. But, you know, we can dismiss that, I think, as he said, an agent maybe needed a favour. So it's hard to... Uh, it, it was certainly put by Albert Breer, who I kind of trust when it comes to Texas and Casario, that, that O'Connell, Jonathan Gannon and uh, Brian Flores um, had all had final interviews. If you're sitting there right now, what do you think is the likely outcome of this? Assuming the doomsday scenario of McCowan does not materialize. Yeah, we'll take that out of the fold. Hopefully that does not uh, presume to happen. But uh, overall, man, all these guys getting second interviews. um, What's really interesting is the Texans waiting as long as they have for Kevin O'Connell. Like that's that's pretty interesting to me. And and I get because he's in the playoffs and obviously now going to the Super Bowl, you know, and I get that. But, you know, I felt like if they've had a decision already, you know, well, then why wait for O'Connell, you know? And so uh, I'm not saying that's they hire, but it's quite interesting to look at in terms of the Kevin O'Connell fans. I think it could be Brian Flores. I really do. There's the Patriots connections. uh, They known each other. You know, him and Easterby have a connection. Him and Casario have a connection. So, look, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be Brian Flores, who I would want. I'm I'm all into the Gannon or O'Connell. I really am. And I've gotten higher on Jonathan Gannon uh, a lot more lately, especially doing more research on him. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be Brian Flores. And I just, again, the connections – uh, what he did with the Dolphins was pretty good, actually. Like I've already mentioned before, they were supposed to be a tank for two a year, and they get five wins. You know, go five and eleven. Next year, you go ten and six. The third year, you go nine and eight. My only problem with Brian Flores, and I had a video uh, on my YouTube channel with a guy named Alex Dono. He does five re- five reasons sports, I believe, is what it's called. Uh, for the Miami, he helps with the Miami Herald, like. So uh, he said that the biggest problem with Brian Flores was his coaching staff, like his three years there, different coaches, you know, and it's it begs the question of can he get along with the coaches? You know, some of those articles, not all of them are fake. Some of them got some type of smoke to it, you know, and let's it. it, My only problem is that and it gives me and I hate to say the name again, the second time in 
podcast, but I'm going to do it. It gives me Bill O'Brien vibes of not, <laughs> not as well coordinating with the other coaches on the staff. That's my only my only critique on Brian Flores. I mean, the biggest one is Jim Caldwell. He was there in 2019, I believe. And he gets uh, – he leaves the Miami Dolphins for health reasons. Yep. And if he has health reasons, oh, okay. I look at it like Gary Kubiak, who had health reasons and took a step away from a moment. Jim Caldwell yep. has health reasons. And in that same offseason is interviewing for head coaching positions. That – I thought you had health reasons, unless they're just extremely minor. Me trying to do more research on that, can't find no, nothing else other than just that quote. Yeah. So that's weird. Yeah. No, I, 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 you know, if you were Casario, right, and you're looking at this right now, and you've just basically botched, you made a complete fuck up of your first ever hire and David Cully. You can't, there's no kind of two ways to shine it, right? But then I, I think so, from all these candidates, if the, you know, the market has, has shrunk to the point where this is kind of your only option. Brian Flores does make sense, I think. And, you know, and people's, uh, you know, and perception of O'Brien with all the the, the autonomy he was given, um, which he should never have been. Um, but some of his biggest flaws were his biggest strengths as well, and he was able to coach a team, you know, beyond its, uh, you know, the albeit the defence was good, but he, he coached, you know, you know, admirable results, you know, not far off 500, but in his, you know, 9-7, was his you know his most common record, albeit the one eleven and, it, and ironically the and ironically the eleven and five season wasn't enough and that was to blow it up. So that's the issue. I think he got too much power. He was given too much power. And Brian Flores kind of had a similar you know. And I, I went through a list of bullet points a couple of weeks ago, and like every single one of them, if you could just you could just rotate the name out, Brian Flores or Bill O'Brien, very similar East Coast kind of alpha personalities. But again, I think a football team needs that. You know, I think that you can't get away from the fact that you can have a smart guy like Mike McDaniels, but how many of those 53 are going to say, who's this nerd? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and that, that's the reality of a, a locker room of alpha athletes who, you know, have been pandered to the entire life. They're not going to see things objectively. They're not necessarily going to, um, you know, it may, they may get there and they may win people over time, but actually what, do you, but that's, but that's the job for the coordinators. That's the job for the position coaches to get into the technicalities, the head coaches to set the direction, set the philosophy of how you want a team to play and what your culture want to be within your locker room. And I think a guy like Brian Flores does that, but you don't want to go back to days of old. However, I, I always go back Harley and think if Casario had a come in one of those times, I don't know if Bill O'Brien's still maybe here and we're a lot more successful and a lot less rash decisions are made. So could those two personalities mesh in a way that the synergy is a productive football team? You can't rule it out. Yeah, man, that that's now that's a fun hypothetical to think about <laughs> as we remember, yeah. you know, Nick Casario was gonna be would have been the GM here, you know, and it just happened that the Texans had to screw it up and you know, Bill Belichick was like, oh, they're snooping in. Okay, call it in. And damn it. You know, we miss out on Nick Casario. And that ultimately leads to this flush down the toilet that we're still spiraling down into. And Nick Casario is trying to unclog us out of it right now. And so if he was hired back then, yeah. Wow, man. You still have Hopkins. Uh, you know, that 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 <laughs> That was certainly a fun duo between him and Deshaun Watson. I didn't want to trade DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, yeah. looking at it now, uh, you know, he's had a lot of injuries from now and then. But, 
Uh, I'm taking Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'll take him. No offense. Yeah, well, that's it. And I think it opened. You know, you could do that. You could do this for hours yeah. on this team, right? But I, I always go back to that. Would that being the kind of counterbalance that we needed? To, you know, and and if you see some of the moves, because there has been reasonably risky, um, albeit not with the same assets that O'Brien did. But did he take that as a model? And did he discuss doing stuff like that with him? And was that an example of how he thought he could do it himself? You know, and the execution showed he couldn't. But yeah, I go back to that point. I think you know when you look at Gannon, I think he's got the perfect background. He's very similar. He could be, you know, I tweeted out he could be Casario's cousin. You know, he's from he's from Ohio. You know, they're from the same neck of the woods. Got a got a scouting and coaching background. Um, he did three years from 09 to 11 and uh, in St Louis before they obviously made the, the move to LA. And uh, you know, there's definitely like a lot a lot there to like. And I, I think you know, could he be a leader of men? Could he could he set the direction? Absolutely. Um, could Kevin O'Connell? You know, but he's only a coach since. Uh, 2015. Um, so, like, you know, he's not you know hugely experienced, albeit, but he's got some great production out of guys. You know, he's he's got a tune out of uh, out the what's the, the the quarterback that came out of Ohio State. I forget his name again. Haskins. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the, he looked okay at times, and then kind of faded away. But he got a tune out of Keenum. He, you know, he was partly you know there for some of the Kirk Cousins stuff as well. So, you know, I, I keep thinking O'Connell's going to go with the Vikings because of that history. You know, with uh, cousins and that system, and I think that just kind of, you know, if you're a, new, a first-time GM like Mensa, I think you pronounce it is, then it's probably going to go that way. Um, so yeah, I think it comes down to Flores and Gannon really, because I don't know, you know, I, well, when you go back to that secrecy stuff, actually, sorry, of 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 O'Connell, e- either you held that information back last week because you wanted to move quickly this week if they got through. Um, or if you didn't get through, you were kind of you were poised to do it. So whatever that first connection was, if it is a first set, we don't know. So either they've they've done that with intent, um, or he's not interested. I'm not. I can't quite work out which one's which. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, if it's between Flores and Gannon, um, like I've already broke down both uh, head coaches and videos of mine, and uh, Brian Flores, uh, he has a pretty solid staff. Uh, pretty decent one as long as i don't get george godsey back in here <laughs> uh, that's yeah. what i do not want with with the swiftness i do not i think you'll be given his staff though i think casario will have a, a stronger hand than he ever would have done and yes. thinking and i think for me the like the flores one is will he come and accept nick's caveats and how he yeah. wants to do it and that's the big question i think and i don't yeah. even know if he's probably well i know he's interviewing for new orleans today mm-hmm. so you know there's a chance he could get offered that job because they probably want somebody you probably can't give the post sean payton either a first time head coach and i think if you bring back so is it is it brandon allen or, or whatever the dennis dc allen. is dennis allen sorry um then that that's that's probably a risky move you know and you kind of just you and you probably got to start afresh so so, you know, there's a chance he gets offered the job there. I think it comes down to Gannon because, and, and Flores because they don't have any other options. But do you think, can you see a, a scenario where they both need each other? Casario needs a, a steady pair of hands, but then also probably Flores needs somebody who can kind of balance him out a little and uh, and see the bigger picture a little like Casario always talks about. Yeah, the balancing act is certainly interesting. I mean, you can have Brian Flores who, yeah, is somewhat from what we've heard in articles and rumors, you know, has had some pushback with coaches, players, Tua, you know, and that article was all encompassing. So, you know, whether or not some of these are true, there's definitely smoke, like I said. So if Nick Casario can be that somewhat of a 
peacemaker kind of guy, you know, hey, this is where Easterby comes in, right? He's the he's the guy that, that's supposed to create peace, correct? <laughs> but uh, Nick and uh, Brian Flores definitely, I think, can create a really good dynamic duo for the Texans, and it bodes well, even though I'm not entirely sold on the 3-4 transition. Uh, I do believe the players that we have currently, and if anybody we do keep, like a Malik Collins who had a really good year, Kamu Grugier Hill who had a really good year, uh, both of those guys fit great in a 4-3. You transition to a 3-4. Mm, yeah, and might, not be, might be obsolete, yeah. You know, Ross Blacklock now starts to be Obsolete, become, yeah. <laughs> exactly. John, Jonathan Grenard, who played in a 3-4. Uh, okay. Don't know if he can play a, an outside linebacker. Yeah, I know that that's that's the issue, isn't it? Because all the that's probably you know after all the character issues aside, and I call them character issues. We don't know if they're true, so you've got to caveat with that. A lot of kind of mudslinging goes on when people you build better taste left in the mouth. Still waiting on your payoff, probably going through the lawyer. So you go and talk to the media for you know a little check just to keep you ticking over and kind of let loose a little on the tongue. But I think that's the big issue, isn't it? Is, is the this or the secondary issue does that mean that they have to blow up because all those guys you said that's right the, the sort of the small silver linings on the defense that look promising yeah they might not fit and I, you know Ross Blacklock maybe could be a three four a three four defensive end but I don't know it's certainly not good enough against the run see I wouldn't trust them I wouldn't trust them you know on first and second down just like I don't trust them right now defensive tackle so yeah you you might have to start completely again on defense which. You know, is that a big deal in the grand scheme of things? No, because a lot of these guys we're talking about probably aren't going to be here by the time we're any good. So um, I don't get too upset about that. But I think, yeah, that, that is a big consideration, Harley, I think. And, and and I suppose the biggest issue, I think, if it's not O'Connell, who do you bring in as offensive coordinator? Are you in the kind of very much keep the Pep Hamilton train? It seems like he wanted out. Then all of a sudden it kind of twisted on his head. Then he was going to interview, declined to interview. So... The, the amount of murmurings around that suggests he probably wants out. If you follow his career path, he's kind of moved around a lot. So I'm kind of struggling to see that staying. I know there was a report, somebody sent me one, one point saying he was staying, but that's the big thing, I think, for those, those two most likely candidates or two most hopeful candidates, it would make sense, is who they bring in as, as offensive coordinator. Because if you're going to see what you got in Mills in year two and you've got a cheap guy in a third-round contract, You've then got a chance in twenty three to throw money at the roster, um, or you know, or some of it sensibly, hopefully. But um, who who comes in as DC? Do you, do you have a kind of view on that and how you build that offensive scheme, or, or have you got even kind of the kind of scheme you want to see? Yeah. So uh, Pep Hamilton, like you said, is confusing to me. Uh, he's a guy that's bounced around a lot in this league. Uh, I mean, at one point he was coaching in the XFL. <laughs> like, I mean, it's he has a very interesting you know, journey in his career as a positional coach. Um, but I would love to keep him here. I'd love to keep the continuity between him and Davis Mills. Uh, I think that's a really big reason as to the success and the growth and development that we've seen from Davis Mills. Uh, but, you know, going back to Stanford. So, yeah, I would love to keep Pat Hamilton. I would love that. You know, uh, if Kevin O'Connell is, let's say, the head coach slash offensive coordinator guy, you know, he could also, uh, I've looked into the staff and, you know, he could bring in a guy like Wes Phillips, Wes Phillips, was, people know son of Wade Phillips, grandson of Bun Phillips, Houston legends. Okay. So Wes Phillips is definitely going to be a fan favorite uh, for a lot of the diehard Texan fans slash Oiler fans. 
so yeah, that's a name to throw around. He's a tight ends coach currently. Other than that, though, he's got another guy that's more experienced in Aaron Cromer, uh, who is a journeyman kind of offensive assistant, QB's coach slash offensive coordinator. Uh, he's 54 years old, unlike Wes Phillips, who's only 35 years old. So the difference there in age is certainly there. But uh, offensively, you know, Davis Mills is a vertical offense kind of guy. And when Tim Kelly, ugh, Tim Kelly had his vertical, when he showcased Davis Mills throwing vertically, that's when you saw a lot of the, whoa, this guy's, this guy's got some talent now. This guy can go on the run a little bit and make the throw down the field. This guy can three-step drop back and drop it in a bucket to Brandon Cooks over by the sideline against the 49ers. You know, like, this is pretty interesting. He's grabbed some stuff. Now, obviously, we didn't see enough of it, and that's reasons to why Tim Kelly's gone. But I believe that if you highlight some of the vertical offense that Davis Mills has done, and if they do go West Coast offense, which we've seen have – ton of success in this league we've seen tons of success it's pretty much a kind of a really good basic plan of an offense west coast offense yeah fling it out run the ball well and just do your job make sure you don't make turnovers davis mills i think can can overall in thinking into the future i think he can do that successfully yeah, yeah, I think so, and that's the thing. If you if you had the choice of all these three names that we've got, or the, the three that we're looking at right now, Kevin O'Connell's system or that proven system, if you think it was the two guys in the NFC, and uh, and Brian Callahan's calling a similar, you know, is effectively a similar offense, if not, you mm-hmm. know, the same with some tweaks. Um, that's got you know, so the you know the two offenses that are in the Super Bowl come from that tree. Um, it's proven, you know, wherever it goes to be successful, it's probably the best fit for Davis Mills. So, you know, ideally you want him or somebody, as you said, that can coach that kind of system. Um, I don't think Pep Hamilton's necessarily tied to 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 that. Um, Bruce Arians kind of that kind of you know kind of stuff that was the run by Andrew Luck when he was there. I think the the issue was it was a bit sort of kind of similar in the long concepts than it was to Bill O'Brien's, where it kind of looked a lot of time to develop and play and basically killed. Um, uh, um, Lot's career, I think. So you don't want that to happen to Davis Mills. I don't think he's got the frame to take it. Um, but there's there's definitely going to got to be that system there. So I think for me, Gannon's probably the perfect fit. What they th- yeah. probably think they want, but maybe not what they need. I think O'Connell's probably the right offensive guy. And if you want a proper bona fide old school head coach, if Casario can equalise him, it's Flores. What do you want to say, Harley? Before we head out of here, would you? How would you tee it up? A bit like that, or what's your view? Yeah, man. I think. I think that's not too bad. I enjoy that. You know, I'm I'm all in for Gannon. I really am. I've grown on Gannon a lot. When I first heard it till now, I've grown on him offensively. He could bring in somebody like a Kubiak. That would be fun yeah, and interesting yeah, if the Vikings don't yeah. retain him. Um, obviously, Kubiak, that last name. If there's anything I would take from Gary Kubiak, it's his offense. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, he didn't have a great – head coaching career here too much. He's the only coach that where I could say that I could have gone to a Super Bowl with, but regardless, offensively, I'm taking it. Clint Kubiak, Davis Mills, Davis Mills doing bootlegs, play actions, uh, you know, dumping it off to Brevin Jordan, similarly to Shab doing the rollout to Owen Daniels gives me very good memories and vibes yeah. that I want to yeah. manufacture again. And so yeah, that <laughs> is, yeah, 
that is extremely exciting. As long as there's no pick six job, we get touchdown six from Davis Mills, okay, and we get Brevin Jordan in the Brev zone, as Roy Lopez loves to say. That is exciting. So Clint Kubiak is a name linked to Jonathan Gannon. His defense, Mike Zimmer potentially is out there. He has a connection with Jonathan Gannon going all the way back to 2007 with the Atlanta Falcons. So that is exciting to hear. Mike Zimmer's defense with the Vikings, successful. Defense with the Bengals when we whooped their ass in the playoffs, successful. So overall, Mike Zimmer has had success in this league, uh, and I like his defense a little more than Lovey Smith. I'm not the highest on Lovey Smith. He's exceeded my expectations, uh, but at the end of the day, I think Lovey's is a boomer bust defense. You're either going to get a touchdown on us or we're going to get a turnover. That's pretty much <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Gannon, I think Gannon is, is, is fun. Yeah, I think the coaching staff will, will change slightly. And I think, I, I definitely think Casario, hopefully, you know, he changes his approach. Whoever one of these three guys and that coaching staff evolves a bit more than it was kind of thrust upon. Um, David Cully. Um but certainly I think whatever you get I think Harley in the next couple of days hopefully I think your season tickets are renewed on or the first window to get a discount of your season tickets is Friday the 4th of, of February so you've got to think that that's going to play a little role because I, from what I've heard to, from somebody this week sales ain't been good and I don't expect them to be because they've not done anything this off season to suggest we've taken any steps forward apart from you know kind of get rid of a guy who obviously wasn't up, up to snuff so you know whatever guy you get in He's got to be here for two to three years. You've got to let him, um, you know, build a squad that's, you know, that's at least serviceable on paper. And at that point, you can debate what coaching job he's done. But, uh, you know, until that point, you're kind of asking people to make uh, to make a lot out of scraps. So hopefully this week we'll find something that'll take us a step forward to progress. Any final words before we shout here, Harley? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on this channel. I appreciate you reaching out to me. Uh, this is a, an honor for me. I've never really been a guest on anything. <laughs> never been a well, guest. Yeah, anything. as I always say, if uh, if you need any time, um, you need anybody on to repay the favor, I'd love to do so. I'm always yeah. happy to help and talk Texans. Can I make a little sense of it all? Because it's never made much sense on the surface. Little, <laughs> No more so than this coaching staff. So hopefully we'll find a way. Hopefully at some point this week we will see you know, a, a step towards the future and hopefully can galvanise some people in the divisions and the anger and all that kind of frustration we've seen can be put to bed and uh, we'll have a new head coach we can rally around and hopefully go and win some football games because that's what it's all about at the end of the day but thank you everybody for listening thanks to Harley for his time if you've not checked out the weekly article on podcasttexans.com managed to get myself going last three weeks out of a slumber in mid-season and, uh, and thank you again for listening we'll catch you again hopefully to speak about a new head coach 